Christmas videos. We got a Christmas tree set up this week. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in here. Um, But we are in a series uh, about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to jump in. We're going to take a big bite tonight. So we're going to jump right into Scripture. Is that all right? Good. Because if you said no, I didn't have a story or anything in my back pocket. So we'll jump in. And I want to start with the same verse I used in that video. For God so loved the world that he gave. Because, again, that is at the heart of Christmas. That God gave his son, right? So whosoever believed in him would have everlasting, eternal life. And so much of what we hit on here at City Life and we preach about here at City Life when we talk about eternal life is this reminder that we often think about eternal life on the length scale, the, the length continuum, that it goes on forever. But we also believe, as it says on this banner, that I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Some of you have never read that before. Oh, yeah, that is up there, right? <laughs> yes, it's that whole idea of heaven now, heaven forever. Yes, there's a heaven to come that can never be touched. Eternity and communion with God in his presence. But he wants to whet our appetite for that heaven with life here and now. We talked about last week how this is unlocked so much by the Holy Spirit. And we hit on this point that the Holy Spirit wants to help you not only behold the life of Jesus, but to begin to unwrap it and experience it for yourself. The anointing he walked in, the power he walked in, that's not just for us to behold, to admire, to consider. No, the Holy Spirit wants us to walk in it and begin to experience it for ourselves. And we talked about last week how if you got this giant Hulk action figure for Christmas as a child, within five minutes, that's not going to be in that box anymore. You're going to rip that thing open. I'd have a 100 other action figures he'd be wrestling and beating on, right? Because no kid gets all their Christmas presents and then leaves them in the box, doesn't touch them again unless it's like socks or your mom got you underwear or something. You're just like, really? So you're off playing with your toys. But you get something like this. You're going to open it. You're going to rip it open. You're going to play with it. Unless you're a collector. As I hit on last week, I had hundreds of Star Wars toys where if I never opened them, they'd be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hundreds or thousands, right? But I wasn't a collector. I was a kid. I opened those things up. I played with them. And the gifts that God gives us, he doesn't want us to just be collectors. We're children of God. He wants us to have the heart of a child that's going to take that gift, open it up, experience it, and use it for all it's worth. This this idea that, that the life of Jesus Christ wasn't given just so that we could consider it and admire it, but so that we could take it and through the Holy Spirit begin to experience it. As children of God, open it up and walk in it. And as I said last week, any gift from God, it's a gift I want. I was reading through James this past week where he says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. He's a giver of good gifts. He's a good father. He doesn't give wretched gifts. No, he gives good gifts. And again, I would tell you this Christmas that he loved you so much that he gave his son. And he gave his son, again, not just to admire and behold, but to experience the life that he had. It was this priceless gift that so often we're indifferent to. And I think we're indifferent to it because we're indifferent to the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is what helps us take it and unwrap it and walk in it. And we're going to be in Acts a little bit tonight, the book of Acts, right after the Gospels. And it's hard for me to read Acts and not think, man, this looks so much different than the church today that I experienced. Why does this look so different? Why are they experiencing things that are so different? Now, that's a big answer, 
But I think part of it is for us in our day, so often when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it's about doctrine and it's about information. But for the early church, the Holy Spirit, it was about experience and transformation. Not just information, but transformation. And there's nothing wrong with information, right? Good information leads to good teaching, which helps us have good doctrine and live good lives that honor God. And this so often is a teaching pulpit here at City Life because information, we need information. We need good teaching. But it's not information for information's sake. The Holy Spirit wants to be so much more than just information. It wants to be transformational in your life. One of my favorite quotes about the Holy Spirit is by none other than Billy Graham. And he says this about the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. He says, I'm convinced that to be filled with the Spirit is not an option but a necessity. It is indispensable for the abundant life and for fruitful service. The spirit-filled life is not abnormal. It is the normal Christian life. Anything less is subnormal. It is less than what God wants and provides for his children. Therefore, to be filled with the spirit should never be thought of as unusual, as an unusual or unique experience for or known by only a select few. It is intended for all. Needed by all and available to all. That is why scripture commands all of us be filled with the spirit. And a lot of that, we might hear that and think, yeah, that sounds great until the end. That idea of being filled with the spirit. Because for some of us, we would think, yeah, I've seen some people filled with the spirit. And it's a little like abnormal, right? It's a lot like when Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk and there's just this loss of control And sometimes I think as a result, based on our biases or experiences, we can kind of treat the Holy Spirit uh, like that one person we all have in our life where it's great to be their friend, but you don't like to invite them to gatherings because they have no chill. That one relative when he shows up to Thanksgiving or like my sister's wedding, my uncle just was crazy, right? That one person, the Holy Spirit becomes that person where you love them to death, but you don't invite them to gatherings because they have no chill. And as a result... I think sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we can think, oh, yeah, we need a healthy balance, right? Like the the Holy Spirit is some add-on that we don't want to overdo or get too much of. If that's your perspective, I would challenge you. Find me somebody that has too much of the Holy Spirit. You won't. Because that's the equivalence of saying, find me somebody with too much of God. Yeah, that's kind of the point, right? I want all of God that I can have. That's not troublesome That's the goal, to be consumed. And the problem so often is not getting too much from God. It's our holding back from God, our holding back from the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk tonight about the gift of the Holy Spirit and also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a big bite, so we're going to keep rolling and rolling. But as we talked about last week, to operate in just human strength, you're just going to get human results. That's not what we're called to as people. That's not what we're called to as the church. That's why scripture speaks clearly and says the Holy Spirit is poured out. It says that we're to be filled. We're going to talk about Pentecost some tonight, where the Spirit baptized the apostles in the church for the first time. And when you think of the word Pentecostal, though, you think about Pentecostal churches, you might think of a whole wide variety of things. You might even think about snake handling or vanity blankets, all that kind of stuff. We have all these different preconceived notions based on experiences, based on maybe personalities of people. Some experiences are odd. Maybe they're strange. Maybe they're weird. Because it becomes troublesome when we get so amped up by emotion, we forget scriptures. 
Yet we can't, as a response, operate by fear and ignore Scripture. Especially, we'll look at tonight, Paul, he addresses some of these things in 1 Corinthians 12. But we also, we don't have to look any further than the Gospels. You know what I love about the four Gospels is they're not identical. Right? There's some that's in this Gospel and not in that one. There's, there's some things said here, phrased a little differently than over here. And, and some people are weirded out by that. For me, like, no, if it was all exactly the same, I'd think, huh, they, they, they plotted this, right? Maybe this wasn't real. But these are four different accounts. But you know if it's in all four, right, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring them to write down these accounts, it's probably important. Right? In all four Gospels, we see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is crucial to the gospel and the good news that we're called to proclaim. And if you look at every one of the gospels, you also see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's in Matthew 3, Luke 3, Mark 1, and John 1, where John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus. He says, look, I baptize with water. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. Every gospel gives an account of these words. And John the Baptist pointing to the baptism that was to come in the Holy Spirit. And this wasn't a New idea either that John the Baptist was coming up with. If you read the the minor prophets in the Old Testament, the the prophet Joel in Joel 2, verses 28 through 29, he's prophesying and God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You know, this happens centuries later at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I just want to read verses 1 through 4 here in the moment. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The heading is the Holy Spirit comes. And it says in verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what appeared, or excuse me, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Then it goes on to say about how there were devout Jews and there were other people from all these different regions in the world that had been on pilgrimage to get there. And they were hearing their language spoken. So all these people come and gather. And Peter preaches the first spirit-filled sermon we see in the book of Acts, and he points back to Joel chapter 2. He quotes what we just read. And as we look at Acts 1 and 2, and we look at the early book of Acts, I want to just point to three realities about this outpouring and baptism in the spirit that we should consider and take heed of. The need, the difference, and the promise. The first is the need. Jesus tells his followers before Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, we, I love how the Bible points back and forth. John points to Jesus. Jesus points back to John the Baptist. He says, look, this, this thing that John the Baptist pointed to and prophesied, it, it's going to be fulfilled. And we got to take note in this passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples. This isn't advice. This isn't a recommendation. No, he's giving them a a command. And what's crazy to me about this command is the timing. Because before this command, they got their commission, right? They got their mission, the great commission, to go out and reach the world, to reach the world with the good news and the gospel. And it would seem like nothing 
is more important to that. We should get right to reaching the world with the hope we have. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 wait. He commands them, wait. Because the Holy Spirit isn't optional or an add-on to kingdom work. He's essential to the church and the work that God has for the church. He's needed. You know, as I hit on last week, if I were the enemy of God, and I wanted to derail his plans and purposes for the church, then I would just confuse what they thought about the Holy Spirit, maybe even work towards them forgetting the Holy Spirit. Because again, if we operate just in human strength and forsake the Holy Spirit, we're just going to get human results. He's not so worried about that. But God wants the supernatural to be our natural because of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 1 reminds us, Jesus reminds his disciples and would tell us tonight, no, you need the Spirit. Secondly, what we see in the beginning of Acts is the difference. Difference between what? Well, in John 20, verse 22, John 20, verse 22, Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to the disciples in a locker room, just shows up, right? It's wild, miraculous. And he speaks to them. And it says he breathes on them in that moment and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this would have been deeply meaningful for someone of Jewish tradition or anybody really that's read their Bible, because when God breathes on Adam and Eve in Genesis, it gives them life. Here, as he breathes on his disciples, he's giving them new life. He's giving them the Holy Spirit, his presence in their life. This new creation that Paul would speak of, this moment of salvation, and yet clearly, Jesus saw a difference between this reception of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was to come in Acts. He says, you will be baptized. Similarly, Luke goes on in the book of Acts to describe instances in which these two parts, salvation and the Holy Spirit baptism, are, are separate and distinct. And that's not to say they can never be simultaneous, but we see that they're, they're separate and distinct. And we see John 20 in Acts 2 and Pentecost, we see Paul's experience in Acts 9. Ephesians, the believers in Ephesus in Acts 19. The Samaritan revival in Acts 8. Cornelius in his home in Acts 11. If you're OCD, you probably are mad that those aren't in order. <laughs> Joke's on you. But specifically in Acts 19, Paul comes to the people in Ephesus that had come to believe in Jesus Christ. And what does he ask them? He asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If this is the first question or one of the first questions that Paul asks the believers in Ephesus, it's one we should ask. And I think if Paul walked around the church in America, in our culture, and, and began asking, well, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? A lot of people would be like, well, yeah, didn't I right, get the deposit of the Holy Spirit and his presence in my life at salvation? Yes, but there's a baptism to come. It's what Paul would go on to explain and share with the church in Ephesus. We see these as two distinct experiences. There's having the Holy Spirit in us where we receive his presence, but then there's being baptized and filled, which releases his power. And few people preach on this as well. I'm kind of partial, but Pastor Fred in, in Newport News, he explains the difference in the following way. It's not that we get more of the Holy Spirit. Again, his presence we receive at salvation. It's us giving more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Baptism, this word baptizo in the Greek speaks to being fully immersed. It's being more fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, being more conformed to his will, his desires, which is always to glorify Jesus Christ and glorify God the Father. That's the need, the difference. And there's also the promise. 
Because at Pentecost, after pointing to Joel's prophecy being fulfilled, Peter goes on to say, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Peter, he points to this promise at Pentecost, and then it's funny because he has to almost be like pulled kicking and streaming by the Holy Spirit in Acts 11 to go see it happen at Cornelius' home. Why? Because Cornelius was a Gentile. Again, this, this promise is for all people. There was a whole lot of racism going on between Jews and Gentiles. He was so steeped in it when he showed up. He's basically like, you know, y'all, I, I shouldn't even be here because you are Gentiles and I'm a Jew, but, but God brought me here. And yet it says, Peter giving a testimony of what happened, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? The same gift at Pentecost for them. And the fullness of the promise isn't just that it's for all races, but that it's for all time. All whom the Lord will call. Future tense. Future tense. Many streams of our faith today would say that the power, the gifts, the voice of the Holy Spirit, it was for then. It's not for now. We as a church would humbly, respectfully disagree. And I think we'll both be in heaven, be able to talk about it there, right? I don't think it's crippling them. But man, there's so much more that God wants to unlock in our lives through the Holy Spirit. You know, true story. I was CYP age. I'm a little old for it now. Anthony, the, the rule basically is if you got to get home in a certain time to put your kids down, it ain't for you, bro. <laughs> if staying up past midnight is like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You ain't CYP anymore. That's a good rule of thumb. But I was at the CYP retreat. I started following Christ my senior year at William & Mary. Got saved in October. And the, the CYP retreat was the next spring, I think. And I remember I was up at the altar. There was an altar for being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was like over here. So I'm standing here. And a, a guy who was a pastor at Christian Life Center, as it was then called, Daniel Amorka Boateng from, I believe he was native to Uganda. If he podcast this, he'll probably call me and correct me. But he's praying for me, right? And to my right and his left is another young lady from William and Mary. And so he's praying for me, praying that I would receive the Holy Spirit. I'm focused. And then he just stops talking, right? And his eyes get as big as like a dish plate. And he looks to his left towards this young lady. And he just stops everything. And he's like, this young woman is saying God is great. God is good. And praising his name in his native tongue from Uganda. True story. Witnesses I can point you to, right? Now, do I believe that's normative every time for a meeting where people are being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Not necessarily, but that was super, certainly a supernatural stamp. God's saying, look, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is moving. So much of Pentecost and being baptized in the Holy Spirit is this reminder that, no, God is present today. God wants to move today in the miraculous through his spirit. It's not just something for centuries ago and we got to live dry and stale. No, he wants to awaken something in us. And so many people would debate what's the experience look like being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's important study. One thing you see in Acts is there was evidence. They saw, they heard. There was a change. But I want to pivot. That's important study. I want to pivot because sometimes I think we can get so enamored with the, the, the supernatural that we forget the purpose. You look at the book of Acts, it doesn't end with Pentecost. That's at the very beginning. It's not a climactic experience. It's actually the key that unlocks the rest 
of the book of Acts. We see the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit is for service and ministry. It's for service and ministry. So as we pivot to the purpose, let me just ask a question. Who would you call a world changer? Who would you call a world changer uh, in our recent culture, recent history? Who are some people that changed the world? Billy Graham, certainly. Mother Teresa. Martin Luther King Jr., yep. We got to take some history classes, apparently. <laughs> Who else changed the world? Bill Gates, yep. Nelson Mandela. See, I knew you had more in you. So if you had to think of adjectives to describe these people, these world changers, these people that change the world, adjectives that describe their life, what would some adjectives be? Passionate, dedicated, driven, courageous, ambitious, charismatic, good one, exemplary, talented, unique. You know, some adjectives we probably wouldn't jump to is unschooled and ordinary. And yet when the apostles were brought before the religious leaders in the book of Acts, it says they appeared unschooled and ordinary. That's what the, the religious leaders saw when they saw them. And yet they impacted the world unlike any of the people we just mentioned. It actually says in Acts 17, the religious leaders after, you know, some time had passed, they say they're turning the world upside down. And we still are impacted by the church. They were faithful to build. We wouldn't be here without them, right? Because they were faithful to what the Spirit was prompting. And to even though they seemed unschooled and ordinary, God was able to do supernatural and extraordinary things through them. The bottom line, the game changer for them is the same game changer for us. It's the Holy Spirit. As we talked about last week in Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do abundantly and exceedingly above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine through the power at work in us. What is that power at work in us? It's the same power that Jesus promised in Acts 1. It's the Holy Spirit in us. And how does it do it? Well, that's a big answer as well. But tonight I want to look at the gifts. Again, there's the gift of the Holy Spirit and there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to be exhaustive. The same way in four weeks you're not going to fully understand the Holy Spirit. I simply want to hit on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, their purpose, what they are. And to open, I just want to read 1 Corinthians 12 and it's verses 4 through 13. Of the opening up here on the screen, but if you want to read the entirety with me, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's verses 4 through 13. Paul says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. He says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can do what? Help each other. Again, it's for service. It's for ministry. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, this one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit or God or from another Spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. 
It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. He goes on to say the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And from here, Paul begins to expand on this analogy that maybe uh, you're familiar with, maybe you're not, where he compares the church and to the body of Christ, where we get this phrase, the body of Christ. If you didn't know, now you know, right? And Paul dives into this analogy, and it's super important when we consider the gifts to consider this analogy because the gifts are what you could call incarnational, right? God does his work in partnership with us, the Holy Spirit in us, working through us. But secondly, Jesus came, took on a body, right, through the incarnation at Christmas so that ultimately we could become a part of his body, the church. Paul says here, we have all been baptized in one, into one body by one spirit. That one body he's talking about is the church. And three separate times in his epistles, Paul speaks on the gifts. There's three. There's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. I think it's important to realize that each time he's writing about the gifts, he's writing to the church, the one body. It's not to Timothy, it's not to Titus, although he could have, but he's writing to a church. And this church in Corinth, uh, apparently it had become a little foggy on the, detour, the details, <laughs> the instructions. They were a little abnormal, uh, to use the word Billy Graham used, and, and Paul spoke up. I think it's important as well to recognize for Paul, it wasn't so much whether this was really a gift or not a gift. The more vital issue he addresses is, are these gifts being used in love and service and in ministry as they were intended to? The gifts of the Spirit are for service and for ministry, for building up ourselves and for building up the church, to serve the church and to point others to Christ. And for some, like this church in Corinth, we want the gift it sounds cool, right? We want the power active in our life. But the problem is we want that without the fruits first, the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you're familiar with those, maybe you're not, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. You probably have heard 1 Corinthians 13 if you've ever been to a wedding. It's this powerful passage about love. And so often we pull it from Scripture, nothing wrong with that, but we isolate it at weddings and we, we talk about love and these qualities of love. But it's important when you consider the context, you realize it's in between all this writing on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at what Paul calls the most excellent way in 1 Corinthians 13, pointing to the first fruit of the Spirit, love, you begin to see so many parallels, right? Rejoices with the truth, that's joy. Keeps no record of wrongs, peace, patient, duh, patience, kind, kindness, does not delight in evil, goodness, never fails, perseveres, that's faithfulness, not boastful or proud, that's gentleness, not easily angered, self-control. The most excellent way to operate in these gifts that Paul is talking about, it has to be rooted within the context of the fruits of the Spirit. The gifts aren't meant to operate without the fruit. The first initial fruit is repentance, but secondly, all these fruits listed here. And true, these don't line up perfectly. And actually, if you were to read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, it's not word for word identical about the gifts, but I do want to work through some of the ones that are present there in 1 Corinthians 12. 
just briefly, so we can be familiar with them. For instance, there's words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. It's a thought that comes through the Holy Spirit. There's so many instances in life, maybe you've had them before, where you think, man, there's not a verse for that. An answer to a question, a solution to a crisis. Think of Solomon who asked for wisdom in the Old Testament and then says these two women come to him and they're fighting over whose baby it is and he's given wisdom for that moment. But you even look practically in Acts. In the books of Acts, the church leaders were prompted by the Holy Spirit to separate, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work he called them to. They didn't have a five-year plan. They didn't have a growth strategy that involved this step. They simply heard from the Spirit and acted on this word of wisdom. There's also words of knowledge, information impressed by God onto a person that the, the person knows is true. Old Testament, you look at the prophet Elisha. The story always cracks me up because he would tell the Israelite king where the other kings were camping out just because he knew through, through knowledge. But if you look at the woman at the well and Jesus is ministering to her, he had a word of knowledge about her life. Yeah, you, you've had multiple husbands, right? He read her like a book and maybe you, like I have, there's been times where somebody's praying for you and they're like, man, he read my mail. Like, how did he know that, right? How would he ever know that about my life or she? And it's because of words of knowledge. There's the gift of faith, the supernatural ability to believe God's word in spite of adverse circumstances. You see this gift active in Paul's life when he's on this ship on the way to Rome and it's about to sink, it's looking desperate, looking like everybody's going to die. And yet he had enough faith, not just for himself, but it was a gift that was so large that it inspired faith in the people around him. See the gift of healing, the impartation of God's supernatural ability to heal. It's not medical science. It's not mind over matter. It's God's supernatural work. See in the book of Acts, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in Jesus' name. Get up and walk. The gift of miracles, events sparked by the Holy Spirit that defy our natural mind and natural experience because it is supernatural. Water into wine, five loaves and two fishes feeding thousands. God's showing his power in unique circumstances. There's the discerning of spirits that speaks to this reality we read of in Ephesians 6, that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And this gift discerns spirits that influences situations and people. Then the final two I want to look at, there's prophecy, sudden inspiration. Emily had that word that just got dropped on her in the middle of worship, right? And she came up and she shared it. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't prepared. And that's not to say that the Holy Spirit can't speak and then you share it days later. But the prophecy, it's a message given by revelation through the Holy Spirit from God to us. I think sometimes we think of prophecy and we think of like fortune telling, foretelling of the future, but I had it explained to me once it was helpful. It's not so much foretelling as forthtelling. It's helping us go forth into all God has for us. It's not telling you every detail of your future, but it's what we need in the moment as God speaks to us and encourages us through his spirit and the gift of the spirit in that person prophesying over us. Then lastly, I want to look at the gift of tongues. Now clearly, that was a quick run through these gifts, but I want to spend some time on the gift of tongues, or what I might call your personal prayer language. Right? The word tongues is just translated from the word in the Greek, but prayer language kind of speaks to what it is. Where prophecy, you could think of it, this isn't perfect, but as God speaking to man, tongues is man speaking to God. And that's vast. It's a sermon in and of itself, but Paul hits on various categories and, and kinds of tongues. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about ones with a prophetic interpretation. Talks about others that are manifestational moment in 
1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. But I want to look at what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, this idea of a personal prayer language for everyone as we walk in relationship with the Spirit and God the Father and Jesus Christ. And so often when I'm in conversations with people, they'll ask, well, is it, is it me or is it the Holy Spirit like taking over? Right? And I've seen people, and you've probably seen people that when they're, quote, in the Spirit, they seem to lose control of themselves. But I would say, again, that's the gift without the fruit. What's the last fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Self-control. Judge a tree by its fruit. If somebody would say, I just couldn't control myself. I was in the Spirit. I'd say, uh, let's look at Scripture. Somebody who maybe doesn't know how to control themselves. Paul, in the letter to Corinth, says in chapter 14, people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and they can take turns. It's like, don't lose your mind, people. Right? He says, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. See, the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, is eternal, was present at creation, active in creation. And what we see at creation is God bringing order from chaos. And when we get baptized in the Spirit, that order is not reversed all of a sudden, chaos from order. No, always bringing order out of chaos. I'll also tell these people, or you if you had that question, it's, it's an invitation, not an invasion. It's an invitation. And I think it's also important to remember, again, what's the invitation the Holy Spirit expresses to the world through us? It's an invitation not to know us, but to know Jesus, right? To be drawn into Jesus' presence, to know God the Father in new ways, to, again, open up Jesus' life and begin to have it for ourselves. And because of this, anytime that you're in a service and you would be drawing attention to yourself, or there's somebody drawing attention to themselves, or distracting from the work that's being done in that moment, it's a good bet they're not in step with the Spirit. Just this idea of being in step with the Spirit. But specifically with your prayer language, again, the Spirit works in cooperation with us. These gifts are incarnational. The same way I have to make a decision to open my mouth and speak in Spanish when I'm in the Dominican Republic, or open my mouth and speak in English, even when I'm here at the pulpit, I have to open my mouth. I have free will. The Holy Spirit doesn't hijack that. You might sound, all this seems odd. It seems strange. We talked last week about mysteries, right? We may never fully understand it, but if it's a gift from God, I want it. Right? If the Bible says I should be doing it, I want it. Now consider this, consider this passage if happiness were like the flowers of June, then I would take the best of them, roses and columbine, the lilies, and bind them in your hair. They are not more beautiful, but they add meaning to my love. For all our words are short and lame of breath and stumble, and you surpass them, though I know not why. Who wrote that? Close. Well, by a few centuries, right? not a biblical author. Maybe you're thinking, man, this sounds kind of like Song of Solomon-ish, right? Shakespeare. You had it, Tammy. Shakespeare. <laughs> it's a trick question. Shakespeare, writing about another human, about how he loves this human so much that words don't suffice. I need a little something more. Language and human intellect wasn't enough. It even becomes cumbersome with another human being. How much more is that a reality with a being that is infinite, way beyond our comprehension, way beyond our understanding, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose ways are higher than our ways, how much more with God 
can words become not enough and cumbersome? How when we're in prayer or maybe you're in worship, you know, like, like the worship, we be like, hey, you know, sing your own praise to God. And in those moments, it's like we're speechless, dumbfounded, struggling to put words together to express love and thankfulness, struggling to maybe express, express deep pain or maybe ecstatic joy. But God wants to be able to connect with us in moments where earthly language doesn't even suffice. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, I love what the message version reads. If you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you, for you are sharing intimacies just between you and him. And if you work your way through chapter 14, it's clear it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift for everyone. I believe. We believe. 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. The assumption is, Everyone is doing this when he says that. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, he says, don't forbid it. He also says in the same letter, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would say that both gifts, these two and all the gifts, again, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for service. They're for ministry. They're for edification. This word that comes from an edifice, right? Construction. That's why other translations speak to building ourselves up and building up the church. Again, I love how the Bible points back and forth prophetically that John the Baptist points to Jesus, and then Jesus, talking about Pentecost, points back to John the Baptist. Pentecost itself, when all these languages are being spoken by the disciples, in a way it points back to the Tower of Babel, all the way back in Genesis, where all these people came together at Babel to build a tower to, quote, reach the heavens. And God says there's nothing that they can't accomplish together. And then he gives them separate foreign tongues to divide them and separate them. And I think you read that sometimes, and I read that, I'm like, did he separate them because he was jealous or because he was fearful? But he did it to redirect their purpose. You read Ecclesiastes, no matter what you build in life, all these different pursuits there's not the joy and the life that God wants for us in that. God is redirecting their purpose and their pursuit. With this tower in Babel, they're like, oh, let's reach heaven. But you, we read, and as we work through the Sermon on the Mountain, the Our Father, our work is, hey, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth. The church is called to build God's kingdom and his church and bring heaven to earth. So that we can experience eternal life, not just on a length continuum, but eternal life in a depth continuum here as he works in us. But so often today for the church, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's a matter of doctrine and information, but it's not a matter of experience. You know, the Holy Spirit wasn't just meant to be informational, it's meant to be transformational. We need the power of God to be at work in us to transform us through the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, not just for us, but so that we can serve, build the church, and ultimately transform the world, as we see in the book of Acts. But again, at the heart of Pentecost is this experience of the immediacy of God, that he's with us, that we can experience his nearness, that his Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And again, so many in the church would say that the work of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit, that was for then, it's not for now. But again, I would respectfully disagree. 
that it's for every person that God would come, that God would call, including you and me and every person here. You know, if I could have the worship team come up, again, this was by no means comprehensive. For some of you, it might have actually raised a lot of questions rather than answering all your questions. I would encourage you, read these passages. Read the first couple chapters of Acts. Read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. Sounds like a lot. You can read all that in like 30 minutes. But I would encourage you, dig around in it. If you've got questions, seek answers. Seek out me. Seek out one of our leaders. But don't say, I, I don't understand and not wrestle with it. God wants to wrestle with us because when we wrestle with him, he's engaged with us. When we wrestle with him, he's close to us. But I just want to close with the words that Peter said to the people that were listening at Pentecost. He gives a, a to-do list, essentially. Three things for every person that heard him preach to do. And I believe that God wants every one of us to walk in each of these three things. He says, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Three items. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. You know, when we go get fast food, there's value meals. Usually there's three items, right? There's the, the entree, the side, and a drink. Burger, fries, and a soda, right? That's what I want. But I, I'm often a dollar menu guy, right? Because I'm usually balling on a budget. So usually I just get a couple items off the dollar menu, and I'm like, I can drink water at home, save some money. I'm just going to get a couple out of the three. I don't need to pay for the whole value menu when I can pay just a couple bucks and go drink some water because I'm a cheapskate. Stuff's trying to break me of that. So there was one time years and years ago now, I still remember because it was like Christmas to me. I, I bought maybe a couple items off of the dollar menu, and I get home, and there's like a whole Big Mac value meal. I'm like, I certainly don't need these calories, but Merry Christmas to me, right? <laughs> I had driven 15 minutes home. I wasn't going back to give it back. I was like, I got an entire value meal in here for like an extra uh, value meal, uh, or excuse me, dollar value meal price, right? And in the same way, in the opposite direction, when I pay for a value meal, as Steph is trying to break me of being a cheapskate, right? If I get home, there's only fries in the bag, I might drive back. I want what I pay my money for. I want all three items, right? I don't just want one. I don't just want two. And I share all that because God is a giver of good gifts, far better than anything some fast food restaurant has for you. And here, Peter points to three. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. And what I would tell you tonight is don't settle for what's less than the spirit-filled, powerful life that God has for you. Life and life abundant. Eternal life that's not just on the length continuum, it's on the depth continuum. I want to read that Billy Graham quote again where he says, I am convinced that to be filled with the Spirit is not an option, but a necessity. It is indispensable for the abundant life and for fruitful service. The Spirit-filled life is not abnormal. It is the normal Christian life. Anything less is subnormal. It is less than what God wants and provides for His children. Therefore, to be filled with the Spirit should never be thought of as an unusual or unique experience for or known by only a select few. It's intended for all, needed by all, available to all. That is why the scripture commands all of us, be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you'd ask, well, okay, how do I receive this? Well, God gives us this paragraph that we got to recite like a cheat code. No, he doesn't, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't give us a bunch of hoops to jump through or a giant to-do list. He just wants us to ask in faith. I love Luke eleven thirteen, 13, and I want to close tonight with it. 
Again, he's the giver of every good and perfect gift, as it says in James. But it says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you sinful people, not how I like to open my sermons, but if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So tonight, as we go back into worship, if we could stand, we're going to go back into, I believe, closer. We're going to worship. For some of us, we need to ask. Maybe you'll do that alone in your seat. The Nawatneys, Nate and Laura in the back, they would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. If you need to ask, then ask. For some of you, it might be repentance. Asking Jesus, be Lord and Savior. I want to give my life to you. Maybe God's impressing on you. I need to get baptized. The second on the list. But maybe for many of us, it's receiving the Holy Spirit in a new way. Immersing ourselves, being baptized in Him. And for those of us that have experienced that before, maybe we don't ask, we can simply bask in his presence and in our praise. But let's worship, and I'll read that verse one more time. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God, we praise you for your goodness and your good gifts here tonight. We worship.